Well, hey everybody, welcome to Valley Creek Church. Hey, I am so glad that you're here with us today because it's a great season here at Valley Creek Church and we're in a great message series called Seven. We're taking a look at seven marker stone messages from the past seven years. And I don't know about you, but I've been loving this series. Every weekend I've been sitting on the front row with my Bible and a journal and taking notes and, and, and just being reminded of these things that God has shared with us, being refreshed by the Word of God, and honestly getting new revelation for my own heart and my own life. And I hope the same is true for you. You see, one of the things that I love about who we are as a church is that we have made a decision to leverage technology to present the gospel. About five years ago, we as a church decided that, you know what, this is a decision we're going to make. This is a direction we're going to go, that we're going to use technology to present the gospel to people that we wouldn't be able to reach. And so every single weekend, because of the video technology that we're able to use, we're able to have multiple services at multiple campuses in multiple cities, which means we're able to reach people and neighborhoods and regions of this city that we would never have access to before. And so what I wanna encourage and remind you is don't let personal preferences keep you from living out kingdom principles. Don't let your own personal preferences, of which we all have them, keep you from living out kingdom principles. Let's be people that lean in no matter what, because we want to partner with Jesus to seek and save everyone and everything that is lost. And so we're going to keep going with this series today by taking a look at a message from a series we did called Take Heart, Strengthen Yourself in the Lord. We did a whole series around being people that learn how to deal with the difficulties of this life. How do we deal with hardships and the troubles and the, and the brokenness that comes to all of us because we wanna be people that learn how to strengthen ourselves. We wanna be people that own our own journey and walk in victory with Jesus. So I wanna encourage you, grab a journal, grab a pen, grab your Bible, open up your hearts, open up your minds because I think God has something fresh and relevant for you and me today. Uh, you see, as a follower of Jesus, you should handle difficulties very differently than the people of this world. In fact, one of the defining aspects of who we are as followers of Jesus is, is how we handle difficulties. I mean, think about it. You're a new creation in Christ. You've got the spirit of the living God dwelling inside of you. If God is for you, who can be against you? We know the last chapter of the story of how it all works out. We're already victorious. The Bible tells us when we are weak, then we are strong. How we handle difficulties should be very different than the people of this world. In fact, you can stop and look at your own life because however you handle difficulties reveals what you really believe about God. However you handle the tough stuff, it reveals what you really believe about God. See, circumstances don't create what's in our hearts, they just reveal what's already there. And we think it creates, no, 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 it just reveals what's already in here. So how you handle the tough stuff, it reveals what you believe about God. And not only that, it communicates what you believe about God to the world around you. It's actually one of the greatest evangelism tools we have is to walk through circumstances with the joy of the Lord as our strength. In fact, James 1, right? He says, consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds. You're like, that's crazy, James. Consider it joy when I'm going through a difficulty. James says, yeah, 
Because when you learn how to strengthen yourself in the Lord, you will have joy in the midst of the worst circumstances, and that will reveal the love of God to the world around you. Okay? That's what we're going to talk about for the next few weeks. So, if you got your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 30. 1 Samuel chapter 30, this is going to be kind of our our theme story. Let me go ahead and set the stage for you while you're turning there. This is David, the man after God's own heart. David, who has been anointed to be the king of Israel, and yet for the last 10 years he's been running from the current king of Israel, Saul, who's trying to kill him. And here in 1 Samuel chapter 30, I believe this is probably one of the hardest days, if not the hardest day in David's entire life. I mean, this is a really bad day. And if you look at David's life, he lived in through a lot of hard circumstances, a lot of difficulties. David faced a whole lot of rejection. See, I think sometimes we read the Bible and we think these guys, they have easy, put together, peaceful lives. The truth is, is they had really difficult, challenging lives. I mean, David knew rejection. If you think about it, it started with his family. His own family rejected him. Remember when Samuel comes to to, to David's father, Jesse, and wants to anoint a new king of Israel, and the father gets the sons. He's got eight boys, but he only gathers seven of them. He leaves David out in the field. Samuel goes through it all and says, well, it's none of these. Do you have another boy? And the father's like, yeah, but he's he's the shepherd boy out in the field. You don't want him. And so right from the beginning, David was rejected by his own family. That's why he could pen Psalm 2710 that says, though my mother and father forsake me, the Lord will receive me still. David knew what it was like to be rejected by family in this earth, but he knew what it was like to be accepted by a heavenly loving father. So he was rejected by his family. Then he was rejected by his boss, by Saul the king, right? He gets anointed to be the king of Israel. He goes and serves Saul the appointed king of Israel, the current king of Israel, and he goes out and wins battles and victories, puts his life on the line. He's totally loyal to Saul, and yet Saul becomes crazy, becomes a madman. He's jealous of David's victories. And so one day, while David was playing the harp, Saul picked up a spear and threw it at David to try to kill him. I'm just saying, your boss ain't worse than that. I know you think he is, but until your boss throws a spear at you, you ain't got nothing on David. He was rejected by his boss, by his king. He knew what it was like to try to submit to difficult authority. He was also rejected by his own nation. One day he's hiding out in a city. Saul and the army is coming to get him. He prays, God, are my people going to turn me over to Saul? And God says, yes, they are. And so he turns around and he runs. David was rejected by his nation. He knows what it's like to not have a, a place in this world. And if that's not bad enough, he goes and he lives with the Philistines, his enemies, the enemies of the people of God. And he lives among the Philistines. He's going out and doing battle for them. And one day the Philistines line up to fight the Israelites. David goes with the Philistines to fight the Israelites. They get halfway there and the kings look at David and they're like, man, we think you're going to turn on us in battle. You need to go home. You know it's a bad day when even your enemies don't want you to fight against their enemies with you. And they send David back. He was rejected by his own enemies. Okay, at that point, you and I would call it a day. Can we agree with that? We would cash it in. I would not keep going. I'd be like, I am done. I don't care what my destiny or calling in life is. I can't deal with this anymore. But not David. He keeps going. 1 Samuel 30, verse 1. He's just been rejected, literally, by the Philistines. He's going back to Ziklag, where he lives. Verse 1. David and his men reached Ziklag on the third day. Now the Amalekites, another set of his enemies, had raided the Negev and Ziklag. So while he was with the Philistines getting rejected, other enemies came in. They attacked Ziklag and burned it, and they had taken captive the women and all who were in it, both young and old. They killed none of them, but carried them off as they went on their way. 
When David and his men came to Ziklag, they found it destroyed by fire and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. So David and his men wept aloud until they had no strength left to weep. David's two wives had been captured. David was greatly distressed because the men were talking of stoning him. Each was bitter in his spirit because of his sons and daughters. But David found strength in the Lord his God. You want to talk about a bad day. Your enemies reject you. You go back home, and while you've been gone, another set of enemies comes in, raids your town, burns everything down, captures all of your family, takes all of your stuff and your possessions, and leaves. And here's David and his men, and they come upon it, and they realize it, and they start weeping, and all of a sudden, David's mighty men turn on him. These are David's mighty men, like the 600 men that no one else in society wanted, but David gave them a chance. And for years, they've been going out winning battles, defeating giants, doing great things for the Lord. David believes in them. These men are loyal to David. But in this moment, they've had enough, and they pick up stones, in a sense, and they're ready to kill David. And he finds himself alone and rejected. The world is against him, and David has a choice to make. Is he going to lay down and cry? And mope and whine? Is he going to get angry? Is he going to say it's someone else's fault? Is he going to make a case to try to convince his men? Is he going to allow his enemy to steal his destiny? But that's not what he does. It says David strengthens himself in the Lord his God. In other words, he believed that his God was bigger than his circumstances. He closed his eyes to the problems and opened his eyes to the promises. And he strengthened himself in the Lord. He didn't wait for anybody else to do it. He didn't wait for someone to minister to him. He didn't wait for someone to come along and encourage him. He strengthened himself in the Lord. And in that moment, he very clearly sets himself apart from his men. You see, while David was strengthening himself in the Lord, his men were weakening themselves in their circumstances. They were becoming bitter victims while David was walking in the blessing of victory. Now, stop for a second and think with me. Think in your mind somebody in your life you would define as a bitter victim. Okay? Picture someone in your mind you would define as a bitter victim. Word of wisdom, don't look at the person next to you <laughs> while you're trying to think of, of who this is. Think of a bitter victim in your mind, okay? You got that person in your mind? Think of the words now that they say. What comes out of their mouth? It's always about the circumstances. It's all they talk about. It's about the circumstances, how bad they are, how hard their life is, how difficult it is that it was this person's fault or that person, my, sp my spouse, my boss, the, the church leadership, the government, these people did that. It's always about the circumstances and it's always someone else's fault. They're defined by their circumstances. That's a bitter victim. Now, on the other hand, think of someone you would define in life that's walking in the blessing of victory. You could look at the person next to you on this one. It would probably encourage them a little bit, but... But think of somebody, they're walking in the blessing of victory. Think of that person, now think of the words that come out of their mouth. They almost never talk about circumstances. They talk about the goodness of their God, the faithfulness of their God, the love of their God. If they talk about circumstances, they talk about how God showed up and did amazing things among them. They're not defined by their circumstances, they define their circumstances. And if you read the Bible and you look at people in life, every person you come in contact with is one of those two people. They're either a bitter victim or they're walking in the blessing of victory. There's no in between. And so my question for you today would be, which one of those two are you? Are you the bitter victim or are you walking in the blessing of victory? You see, an inadequate view of the love of God will always create an unhealthy view of the circumstances in your life. And if you look at the people that are walking in the blessing of victory, 
they usually actually have worse circumstances by human standards than those we would say are bitter victims, but they have a great revelation of the love of God, so they strengthen themselves in the Lord and it gives them a healthy view of the circumstances in their lives. So my question for you today is this, is like, how do you handle the tough stuff? Like, what do you do on the bad days when you're like David? Everyone's against you. The world has rejected you. Everything is coming upon you. The storms of life are raging. How do you respond? Do you stress out? You're fearful, angry. You get upset. It's everyone else's fault. Like, what do you do when you lose your job, can't pay the bills, didn't make the team, uh, you got major temptation in your life, you find out someone in your life that has cancer, your marriage falls apart. Like, how do you respond? Strengthen yourself in the Lord or weaken yourself in the circumstances? In fact, maybe let me try to say it to you a different way. Uh, Do you remember the story of Jacob and Esau in Genesis? Jacob and Esau, twin brothers. Their father is Isaac, and Esau is the older son, which means he should get the birthright and the, the blessing, the double portion. Well, Jacob, the younger brother, his name means deceiver, and he's already deceived Esau out of the the birthright, but now he goes off and he deceives father Isaac, who can't see anymore because of his old age, and he gets the blessing that was due to Esau. You want to talk about a hard day, you want to talk about rejection, you want to talk about some tough stuff, and there's this really interesting verse that says, and Esau comforted himself with the thought of killing his brother. He comforted himself with the thought of killing his brother. And in that moment, we learn that we crave comfort. We actually need comfort. We were made for comfort. But the question is, is where do you go to get that comfort when life is falling apart? Like in your life, is it, I got to go to work? If I go to work, I'm comforted? I got to get on Facebook and go into that world? Like, everything will be great? Is it you go to your hobby, you got to watch a TV show? Are you like Esau, you go somewhere deep in the recesses of your mind? Are you like David's man, you want to plot revenge and, and criticism and, and come against someone else? Is it, I need to have a couple glasses of wine or, or do this thing? Maybe it's you just need your Snuggie. <laughs> the blanket that you wear, you know what I'm talking about? Until about five minutes before service, I thought Snuggie was the S-shaped pillow, you know? You know what I'm talking about? Come on, man. That was the greatest thing when Colleen was pregnant is we had a Snuggie. Apparently it's not. It's called a Snoogle. It's something totally different, but I thought they were the same thing. I just figured that out, like right before service. Where do you go for comfort? Everything you pursue apart from Jesus actually makes you weaker than you already are. Sleep won't make you stronger. Circumstantial change won't make you joyful. Ignoring your feelings won't make you free. Complaining with someone else won't make you happy. Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. In other words, come. When life has fallen apart and the world is against you and you feel rejected, I'll give you rest. Which means that when we go somewhere else to find that comfort or that rest, we become even more restless than we already were. If the Holy Spirit is the great comforter, then there's no comfort found apart from Him. And I'm convinced that some of the worst decisions we make in life is when we try to find quick comfort for deep pain. Think about it in your life. I would bet some of the worst decisions you've made in life is when you're looking for quick comfort from deep pain. And we go to the wrong source. Where do you go? And if in your mind you're like thinking and you're like, oh, well, I I go here. This is what I need. I I need this thing. I need that glass of wine, that TV show, my Snuggie or Snoogle or whatever S word you want to put to it. If you think you need that thing, you understand you're no longer in control of it. It's actually in control of you. Second Peter 2.19, for a man is slave to whatever has mastered him. 
If you need it, it's mastered you. It actually has authority in your life. Listen, I don't want to be mastered by anything in this world. I want to be mastered by Jesus. Where do you go? Where do you go for comfort? Do you strengthen yourself and the Lord? And the reason this is so important is because you cannot step into your destiny until you learn to strengthen yourself in the Lord. Will never happen. In fact, play the rest of the story out. Here's what happens. It says David strengthened himself in the Lord. He rallies his men together. He doesn't give them a big explanation. He, doesn't, he just rallies his men together. They go off. They fight the Amalekites. They defeat them. They get their families back, get treasure. And two chapters later, David gets anointed the king of Israel. Two chapters later, he steps into his destiny. He's been running for 10 years. 10 years he's been waiting to fulfill the destiny that God has called him to. And in this moment, if David would have given up, looked at the circumstances, quit, given up, complained, criticized, would have walked away, he would have never got to his destiny that was only two chapters away. You'll see it all over the Bible. Think about Nehemiah calling on his life, right, was to rebuild the walls of the city of Jerusalem. He goes, he starts it, his destiny is coming along great until opposition arises. Then Nehemiah 6, 9, it says, they were all trying to frighten us, thinking their hands will get too weak for the work and it will not be completed. But I prayed, now strengthen my hands. Nehemiah strengthened himself in the Lord and stepped into his destiny and fulfilled it. Think about Paul. Paul lived a rough life, man. You want the kind of revelation that God gave Paul in the New Testament? You got to be willing to go through some tough stuff sometimes. He's shipwrecked, he's persecuted, he's stoned, he's beaten with sticks. The church doesn't want him, the Jews don't want him. I mean, he gets shipwrecked on an island, he reaches down for a piece of wood and a viper jumps up and bites his arm and everybody's like, ooh, God's after you. I mean, it was a tough deal. And yet here's what he says, Philippians 4, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. In other words, Paul says, I put that verse on my football helmet and I know I can throw a touchdown pass. Some of you are like, yeah, yeah, put it on my helmet, my kid's helmet, he's going to do it. That's, not what, that's what we think that verse is talking about, that I can do any sports feat there is. No, no. You can't. You're not going to get an Under Armour deal. I'm just telling you, it's not going to happen. <laughs> what he's saying is, in the worst of circumstances, I will strengthen myself in him, and I can keep moving on. And he walked into his destiny. How about Jesus? Worst day of Jesus' life is the day he's about to go to the cross. And he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane, he hits his knees, and he prays, Father, if there be any other way, let this cup pass from me but not my will, but yours. And it says an angel from the Lord came and strengthened him in Luke 22. And he gets up and he fulfills his destiny, goes to the cross, and now he's seated at the right hand of the Father. What if Jesus wouldn't have strengthened himself? What if in that moment he would have said, oh, Father, I'm, I'm tapping out, I'm, I'm good. Time to come home, I'm kind of done with, done with this deal. He didn't. Where do you need to strengthen yourself in the Lord right now? Because you might be two chapters away from something amazing that God has for you. Don't give up now. Listen, a while back, my uh, little four-year-old girl, she was four at the time, she's five now, but she was four, 
And she was in the other room and she was playing and I was in my office just reading or something. And, and all of a sudden I just kind of hear her whining, right? She's just kind of whining in the other room. And not like that, I'm hurt and, and you need to rescue me cry, but like that just whiny cry. And she starts saying, this is so bad. She just keeps saying that over and over again. This is so bad. Oh my, this is so bad. In a couple minutes she just whines, this is so bad. Finally I've had enough of hearing what's so bad. I got to see it. And I get up and I walk in the room and she's rolling around on the ground saying, this is so bad. And I walk in, I'm like, Emma, what's going on? And she said, my toy is broken, daddy. This is so bad. And I reach down and I pick up the toy and I look at it and I go and put the piece right back in that had fallen out and handed it back to her. And she just looks at me and she goes, oh, thanks, daddy. She goes down and starts playing. And I walked away and I was like, that was embarrassing, man. If I, if I was you, I hope nobody caught that on phone and is going to post it. <laughs> and as I thought about it, I thought, how many times do I look just like that? How many times do I roll around on the ground and complain, this is so bad? This is so bad. Think of how much of life we waste worrying over battles that have already been won. Every time you play the what if game or the woe is me game, you understand you're weakening yourself and you're exhausting yourself. Like what were you worried about a month ago? What were you worried about six months ago? How about a year ago? This time last year, what were you worried about? But you can't even remember. You're probably rolling around on the ground saying this is so bad and you can't even remember what it was. Wasn't that bad. Where right now are you saying this is so bad? You need to replace those words with he is so good. Yes. See, John 16, here's the theme of this whole series. Jesus looks at the disciples. He says, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. See if you can catch this. In this world you will have trouble. He says, problems are going to come. You're going to have hard days. You're going to face rejection. You're going to have enemies. There's going to be some rough stuff. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. Strengthen yourself in me, for I have overcome the world. In this world, there'll be problems, but strengthen yourself in me because I've already overcome the world. In other words, Jesus says, is your problem in the world? Let me ask you, is your problem in the world? Or is your problem different than that? <laughs> I don't know how to help you if it is. If your problem's in the world, Jesus says, take heart for I've already overcome the world. In fact, here's what he says. He says, win the battle in here and you'll always walk in victory out there. Lose the battle in here, you'll always walk in defeat out there. Win it in here, you'll walk in victory out there. Lose it in here, you'll always walk in defeat out there. See, the battle is in here. This is where the victory is won. The victory out here is already won. Jesus says, I've already overcome the world. I've taken care of it all. It's done. You and me spend our lives fighting the wrong battle. That's what I'm trying to tell you. He says, take heart. What does that mean? It means align yourself with Jesus. Agree with what he said is already true. Stop letting circumstances determine the atmosphere of your heart and let the atmosphere of your heart determine your circumstances. Psalm 4610, be still and know that I am God. Let his love be bigger than any circumstance that you're facing. Because guess what? It already is. We just have to choose to believe that it's true. 
Remember I told you in the beginning that an inadequate view of the love of God will lead to an unhealthy view of circumstances? The reverse is true. A greater understanding of the love of God will lead to a healthy view of circumstances. Stop agreeing with your circumstances. Stop looking at your ability and start looking at his authority. Don't agree with cancer. Don't, just don't agree with it. Just say, you know what? I'm going to align myself with Jesus. By his stripes, I've been healed. Don't agree with the setback. Instead, align your heart with his and say, man, my God will work together for the good. All things for those who love him who've been called according to his purpose. So I know God's going to use this to actually promote me. Don't agree with the storm. Instead, align your heart with his and say, you know what? Nothing can separate me from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. First John 4, 4, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Same power that rose Jesus from the grave is alive and well in you. Take heart. Take heart. Don't empower your circumstances by agreeing with them. Empower your heart by agreeing with Jesus. Listen to me. Do you understand that your circumstances only have authority over your heart if you give it to them? The only authority circumstances have in your life and over your heart is the authority that you've given to them. Because Jesus says, I've already overcome the world. In other words, I've removed all authority and power that they have. They only have power and authority when you choose to give it back to them. See, it's never a physical battle that we're fighting. It's a battle in here. All we want is the circumstances to change. All God wants is for our heart to change. Victorious hands and a defeated heart completely misses the point. Victorious hands and a defeated heart completely misses the point. In other words, circumstances can be exactly the way that you want them to be, but if you still have a defeated heart, it misses the whole point. Because the abundant life isn't from out there flowing into here. The abundant life starts in here and flows out there. And if you lose the battle in here, you won't know how to steward the victory out there. See, see if you can catch this. If you lose the battle in here, you won't know how to steward the victory that God wants to give you out there. Like, for example, if God changes your circumstance but your heart doesn't change, you will have no idea how to walk in the freedom of those new circumstances. If your problem is your marriage and God changes the circumstance of your marriage, but your heart doesn't change, you will have no idea how to steward the victory that he's given you of new circumstances in your marriage. If it's a job issue, if God changes the circumstances of your job, but your heart doesn't change, you will have no idea how to walk in the freedom of the circumstances that he has then given you. You've got to win the battle in here to know how to steward the victory out there. And that's why so many Christians live in this defeat mode and everything's this woe is me, this what if, defeated, discouraged cycle because they allow the circumstances around them to define them because they've never won the battle in here. Never learned how to strengthen themselves when the really bad days come. We got to flip that. I mean, if you think about it for a second, think of the Old Testament. The Old Testament is basically like, are you with me on all this so far? Does this make sense? I'm trying to build up your faith here. Let, let me, the Old Testament is, is, is physical pictures of spiritual truths. When you read the Old Testament, think about it that way. Look at the physical reality. It's teaching you something spiritually. And if you look at the Old Testament, it's full of battles, physical battles. Here's the question. Did God ever need anyone to actually fight a battle for him? Yes or no? No. God could have just looked at the opposing armies and just done. But he wanted them to fight. Why? Because he wanted them to learn to win the battle in here so they could steward the victory he was going to give them out there. Think of the Gideon and the Midianites, right? Massive army. 
God starts Gideon with 32,000 soldiers, brings it down to 300, wants him to fight the Midianites. Did you ever wonder why God stacks the odds against us? 300 soldiers, really? Why? Because he wanted Gideon to look at a difficult circumstance and learn how to strengthen himself in the Lord so he would know how to steward the victory God was going to give him in the future of ruling the people of Israel. How about the promised land? Land full of what they called as giants? God brings them to the river. They look across. It's full of giants. Did God need the people really to expel the giants? No. But God wanted them to find rest in him before they found rest in the land. And so he said, you need to learn to win the battle in here so you'll know how to steward the victory out there. How about the city of Jericho? Battle of Jericho is a massive city, right? It says the walls are high, tightly shut in. No one can get in or out. God tells him march around the city seven times for seven days. And on, on that third day, don't you know, there was a whole lot of like, is anything going to happen? <laughs> God didn't need them to tear down the wall. They couldn't tear down the wall. I think what God wanted is that on day three, when it felt like nothing was happening, he wanted them to choose to align their hearts with him and win the battle in here so they would be ready to steward the victory he was going to give them out there. Don't let the size of the wall make you question the size of your God. He will lead you into these places where you will be forced to win the battle in here to be prepared to steward the victory, the things he wants to entrust you with out there. He's already won that battle. We fight the wrong battle. That's what I'm telling you. We think if I can change the circumstances, I'll be happy in here. The truth is, if you don't win the battle in here, it doesn't matter what your circumstances are, you'll never be happy. You'll never be joyful. God lets external battles come in so you can get internal strength with him and learn to trust. And he wants to tear down everything you trust in till your heart wholly rests in him like your snoogle or snuggie, and everything else. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Win it in here. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. You see, the promises of God are often surrounded by what we perceive to be as problems. The Midianites were the problem surrounding Gideon's promise. The giants were the problem surrounding the, the promise of the promised land. The, the, the city of Jericho, the walls were the problem surrounding the promise that God had given the people. But what faith does is it closes its eyes to the problems and opens its eyes to the promises and moves forward. Don't fight the battle out there. Win the battle in here. Let me pull it all together for you. Do you remember when Peter walks on water? Those really simple stories, Right? They're in the boat, big waves come, big storm. They're afraid they're going to die. Jesus comes walking on the water. He's walking on water, man. (laughs) What could communicate more that he has authority over everything else out there than that? He's walking on water. And Peter sees him and says, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come. He says, come on, Peter. No problem, man. Come on. Peter steps out of the boat, looking at Jesus. He takes a couple steps. Now Peter's walking on water. He's walking on the wind and the waves and the storm and the lightning and the thunder and the howling and all. He's walking on it, which means we have the authority when we're strengthening ourselves in him to walk on top of the depression, the anxiety, the marriage issue, the school problem, the job situation, financial provision, the health issue. We have the authority to walk on top of it if we're looking at him because we're strengthening ourselves in him. So as long as Peter's strengthening himself in Jesus, he's walking on top of the problems. And then all of a sudden it says, when Peter saw took his eyes off of Jesus, saw the wind and the waves. He began to sink and he was afraid. In other words, he was no longer strengthening himself in the Lord. He was now weakening himself in the circumstances. 
And Jesus reaches out his hand and he grabs Peter and he pulls him up. He says, why do you have such little faith, Peter? And what's fascinating to me in that passage is Jesus never once invites Peter to calm the storm out there. He invites Peter to calm the storm in here. He says, Peter, I already have authority over the storm out here. What I want is for you to give me authority over the storm that's in here. You see, this journey of following Jesus is a journey of learning to live from the heart. It's not a journey of cognitive logic and process and reasoning. It's not get some more Bible facts and you'll have it figured out. It's not come to church so Jesus will give you these blessed circumstances. It's a journey of learning to live in here and from here and through here by giving him the authority and the control here. And he brings the peace regardless of what's happening out here. And here's what's crazy. If you've ever talked to somebody that's walking in the blessing of victory despite really tough circumstances, honestly, at some point they get to this place where they're so strengthened in the Lord that they really don't even care anymore if the circumstances change because everything in here has changed. We gotta stop fighting the wrong battle. It's not out there, it's in here. And what if you stopped looking at circumstances as something to get through as fast as you can, to complain about, to criticize, to, 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 to badmouth other people because they cause it? And what if you started looking at circumstances as this is an opportunity for promotion in the kingdom? This is an opportunity to get in alignment with God because you realize all worry is being out of alignment with God. It's an opportunity to align with him, to agree with his truth, to walk in the blessing of victory, to, to, to calm the storm that rages in our heart. That's what circumstances create. And I realize some of you are looking at me and you're like, man, that sounds really good, but how? But how's the wrong question? The question is who? It's not how do you strengthen yourself, it's who are you strengthening yourself in? And for the next few weeks, I'll tell you a lot of how, but you got to get the who right, because you don't get the who right, it doesn't matter how much how you know. Sounds like a Dr. Seuss book. <laughs> but, you, but you know what I'm saying. Right? It don't matter. Psalm 121, 1 and 2. I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Psalm 24, 8. The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty to save. Strength is only found in him. He has overtaken the world. Will you let him overtake your heart? Take heart. Strengthen yourself in him. Listen, I have no idea what's going on in your life right now. But I would assume many people in this room, you're struggling with some major stuff right now. This is your moment to look to the Lord and say, I choose to strengthen myself in you, Jesus, instead of weakening myself in the circumstance. So you close your eyes. What's going on in your life right now? Where do you feel defeated and discouraged and down? Where do you feel rejected and alone and abandoned? Where do you feel like there's no hope or like you're trapped, like you just can't get out of the same cycle that keeps repeating? That's where you need to look to the Lord 
and strengthen yourself in him. Because those glasses of wine or working more or complaining to a friend or going on TV or pretending like it isn't there isn't going to help you. It's going to make you even weaker than you already feel like you are. Strengthen yourself in the Lord. Think about him. With Jesus, all things are possible. If he is for you, who can be against you? The Bible says the battle belongs to the Lord. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. For I am convinced that there is nothing in this life that can separate me from the love of God in Christ Jesus. How wide, how deep, how long, how high is the love that God has for me. And how about this one? It is finished. He says, I've already won all of the victory that needed to be won. What I want is for you to let me into your heart and win the battle in there. And so, Holy Spirit, I just pray that you would come. We create a little bit of space for you and we, we wait on you. Come. Strengthen us in you. Breathe hope where we're hurting. Breathe healing where we're broken. Breathe life where we're dying. Bring vision where we're blind. And move within us to strengthen us in you. Jesus, we proclaim and declare that you are great, strong and mighty, mighty to save. And we look to you. We close our eyes to the problems. We open our eyes to the promises. And we say we will not live as bitter victims. We will live in the blessing of victory as we look to you, as we take heart. Take heart. Holy Spirit, whisper that to us in a deep recess of our hearts. Thank you, Lord.